Welcome to Life Without Secrets. Do you often find yourself comparing your life to your friends on social media? You see the glamour, the success, the perfect family, the perfect kids, the awesome vacations. But what's really behind the highlight reel? In Life Without Secrets, we are going to dive deep and reveal the secrets, struggles, and strategies people have used in real life to get to who they are now and who they are becoming. Because the truth is, nobody is perfect, and you are never alone in what you're going through. So don't forget to subscribe to the show, because it's time to connect on a deeper level and grow together. Let me ask you a question. Are you letting the scale determine your worth? Do you love yourself when you look in the mirror? I feel like we can be so critical of ourselves and our bodies, myself included. Today, we have Kimberly Riggins on the show with us. She is a board-certified holistic health and wellness counselor and coach. She holds a Bachelor's of Science in Psychology, a Master of Science in Holistic Nutrition, and is certified as a personal trainer and fitness instructor as well. Kimberly is on a mission to help all women learn to nourish their bellies, love their bodies, and accept themselves without reservation. Something we could all use a little more of in today's society where we are comparing ourselves instead of loving ourselves. Kim, I'm super impressed with you and how you've literally turned like a difficult situation and struggle in your own life into a mission and purpose. So I'm excited for everybody to learn about your journey. That's so inspiring and for you to share your story with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So you've been through a difficult thing as a teenager that quite honestly, I think probably happens more than we all know or are aware of. Would you mind going back with us and sharing what you've been through and what has brought you to be so passionate and so incredible at helping others love their bodies and love themselves? As a teenager, I would have considered myself quite normal. I was moody, you know, and I had a smart mouth (laughs) and I talked back to my parents and things like that. But all in all, like I was very much a normal teenager. And I had a good head on my shoulders. I got good grades. You couldn't really complain except for the fact that I had a smart mouth, right? (laughs) And talk back. But I was pretty athletic. I had a lot of friends. I had a genuinely great childhood up until that point. As a teenager, I really liked who I was, which is not very common, honestly, right? And so... I was very strong in my constitution. I knew what I believed in. I knew who, what I stood for. And I was pretty opinionated and very outspoken even back then. Um, so unfortunately, what ended up happening was I didn't follow my gut. And I found myself in a position where I ended up dating a boy who everyone was in love with, who I really in the beginning didn't even care to give him the time of day. And... Over a period of time and his constant um, courting and trying to get my attention, I found myself in a situation one night where we were both stuck in the same area. My friend had left me there and we just started talking and I thought, oh, he's not as bad as I had thought. So I had really kind of opened myself up to the possibility that this boy might not be terrible because in my mind, I thought he was like a player and the whole nine. To get to your point and what what you wanted me to talk about was, yes, we started dating. We were dating for several months and we were in a situation where I was at a friend's house. My girlfriend was dating one of his best friends and they showed up unannounced and we had started fighting. And honestly, I don't remember what the fight was about. And it really doesn't matter at this point. He had pushed me into the refrigerator. He got a little physical with me. And I was like, absolutely, like, that's not happening. I will not tolerate any of that. And he got really upset and he kept asking, you know, I'm so sorry. And there was something off with him, honestly. Like, I wasn't sure what was going on with him and I had questioned it and he started getting a little bit angry. And then we had people in the house, right? Her parents were there. We had other friends over. And I literally was like, you need to leave. We can have this discussion another time. He's like, no, no, no. And I, I'd broken up with him. I remember saying we're, we're done. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, this is too hard. Like, I don't want to be with someone who I always constantly feel like I'm fighting with, especially lately. I don't know what's going on with you, but I don't want to be with you anymore. And he had convinced me then to go into the back room near the garage. And he's like, I just want to talk. So because there were so many people in the house, And it wasn't my own home. I felt like I was on the fence. Like I didn't 
want to create a scene because it was really, really late. And at the same time, I didn't want to talk to him, but I ended up going with him into this back room. We started talking. He was like sobbing at one point, telling me he loved me. And I was like, I'm 16. Like, I don't, what the heck? I don't know what love is, right? And one thing led to another. And um, I found myself, he was like laying on top of me. He was laying next to me at first. We were just kind of laying on the floor on the back, my, um, on our backs. And he had turned over, he was laying on my chest. And then he started getting very forceful. And I was like, this isn't happening. We had never had sex before. And he forced himself on me at the end of the day and left me there. Honestly, I remember saying no, but like words weren't coming out of my mouth. And yeah. I heard them, but I felt like he didn't hear them. And I felt like I was screaming, but I wasn't screaming, if that makes sense. Like I literally kept saying, stop. And I was getting so angry because I could feel like this fire in my belly. And I kept trying to push my knee up to push him off of me. And I was struggling. He was stronger than me, obviously. And it felt like hours, but it was probably minutes. And I finally was able to push him off of me. And I started crying. And I think that scared him. And I was like, leave me alone. Get out of here. And he bolted. I stood up in a pool of my own blood. So I didn't know what to do. I was in someone else's house. I ran to the bathroom, grabbed the hand towel, cleaned up the mess. Then I came back in the bathroom and locked myself in there for probably an hour, cleaning myself up and just hysterically crying. Didn't know what to do. Wanted to call my parents to go home, but didn't know what to tell them. Knowing full well, I had a whole entire house full of friends and sort of pissed that they didn't hear anything and they didn't yeah. come check on me. Uh, and then I remember just looking in the mirror and not recognizing who was looking back at me. Like I didn't even know who she was and she looked dark. That's all I can say. She looked dark, almost like demonized. Right. And didn't fit in the mirror like at all. Like it was a person who was supposed to be me that looked three times the size and had like these piercing dark eyes. And there was just all of this anger. It was the weirdest, most psychedelic feeling I've ever experienced. And I mean, I just, I just cried and it took me some time to grab my composure. I cleaned up the best that I could. And I took the towel, I rolled it in a ball and I threw it in my sweatshirt because I was afraid to like leave it in the house. Cause obviously there's red blood on it. And I went downstairs really quietly, found my bag, threw it in there in the back of the bag so no one else would see it, and then cried myself to sleep. And then the next morning when I went home, I left immediately. I think I got up at like 6 a.m. and called my parents at 7 and told them I didn't feel well and I had to come home. So my dad had come and picked me up. And I went home and laid on my floor for three days. <laughs> like, didn't go to school, didn't talk, just laid on my floor. I was just dead inside, like super numb. Did you feel like angry with yourself or angry with- Oh, absolutely. You did. I blamed myself a thousand percent. I didn't tell anyone. I did not tell my parents. I kept running over and over in my head that situation. Um, as many details as my- brain would allow me to remember because there was like spots that to this day, I still can't remember. And I learned that at the end of the day, those details don't even matter. What really resonated for me after, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, going through the healing process was that no means no, it doesn't matter how it happened. And even if you said it quietly, it still is no. And shaming yourself and blaming yourself isn't the answer. But when you're 16, <laughs> you don't know any better. You do. You, you're shamed and you blame yourself and you question it. And then you ask yourself things like, did I ask for this? 
did I deserve this? Maybe I did. I'm, I'm the stupid one. Like, and all those internal conflicts start to happen and you just shut down and everyone deals with it so differently for me. I just shut down completely. I, I was numb and I went back to school on the fourth day. And I remember walking through the hallways and I was just a complete and utter zombie. Like I was going through the motions and I was going to class. I was talking. I even maybe cracked a laugh occasionally, but I was like, how do people not see this? Like there's something wrong with me. Like my personality, like, I, and I guess what I realized is either I was that good or nobody cared. That was what I was thinking in my head. Right. Was either I was that good of an actress <laughs> or nobody cared. And so that made me fall into a deeper depression and just a deeper numbness to say the least. And one day I decided like enough is enough. I picked myself up uh, off the floor because I would come home from school and I would just like lay on the floor, do my homework. And I just like numb out. I stopped hanging out with friends for a while. I stopped doing all the fun things. I would still go to my job and things like that, but I really stopped living and no one seemed to notice. So I went running one day and I wasn't a runner, by the way. So <laughs> this is, this is humorous. You know, I was like, I'm going to go running. Maybe it'll help clear my head. So I think I lasted like half of a mile and then the half mile turned into a mile and the mile turned into two and the two turned into 10 and the 10 turned into 20. And over a period of that next year, I ran every day, all day, right? Because what happened was those endorphins, that feeling of running, that freedom, I felt something for the first time since the incident. I actually felt something in my physical body and it was a way for me to cope. It was my coping mechanism. <clears throat> so running turned into losing weight, which by the way, I didn't need to do. I was fairly slender, super fit. I was an athlete and I didn't have any body image issues at that point. I never really dieted. I never even thought about dieting. But what I recognized is as I was running all those miles, I was getting thinner and thinner. And I felt like, oh, this is good. Because if I get thinner, for some reason, I thought the thinner I get, the more I'll disappear. The more I disappear, the less attention I will get. Did it have anything else to do with control? Like it was something you could control? Absolutely. It was the only thing I could control, right? So here I have all these emotions swarming in my brain. I hadn't told anybody. Actually, there was one person, believe it or not, it was a boy. And he was one of my closest friends. And he finally approached me and asked me what had happened. He said, something is off. And he's like, I think I know what it is. And he kind of guessed it. And I didn't deny it. And he just gave me a hug and said, everything's going to be okay. If there's anything I know about you, you are one of the strongest people I've ever met. And I thought, wow, like, as 16-year-olds, for someone to recognize that in someone else is pretty crazy, first of all. And I've been hearing that ever since. But it was kind of nice to have that secret out to at least somebody without actually saying it out loud. <laughs> but what I recognized is, yeah, I mean, that was my way of controlling my emotions, was running. Because when I was running, I was feeling something, but I didn't have to feel or process those feelings. So that's why a mile turned into 10, turned into 20. I mean, at one point I was running marathons for fun. Oh man. Now you asked me to run a marathon and I'd be like, I'm done. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> I've only done a half marathon once and um, I was in so much pain. I could barely like go to the bathroom. So. <laughs> and I did that all through high school. So up until I was a senior into the time I graduated and went to college, like I did start functioning. Don't get me wrong. I had a high school sweetheart. We went to the proms. We went to homecoming together. We were together even into college, but we were, and he finally, I did finally tell him and he was great. Like, listen, for someone to have a high school sweetheart who listened to the story and could support me in that way. Pretty amazing to find that. Oh yeah. Especially at that age. Yeah. 
he was just a really nice, genuine guy. And when we, when I got to college, it progressively got worse. I mean, I had started dabbling in high school with manipulating my food because it was just another form of control. Because when I started witnessing the changes that were happening to my body in my head, I was like, oh, I can see muscles. Oh, I can. But really what I was doing is depleting myself of all like nutrients. And I mean, 2020 is hindsight. But now I recognize like I was not doing it the right way at all. And the thinner I got and the more I could see my ribs and my mu- like it was very counterintuitive. It was not healthy. It got worse in college because, of course, you know, you leave home and you have no one to watch over you. And did your high school boyfriend stay, go somewhere else or did he go to college with you or what was that? He had gone to college. So in my senior year, he had graduated already okay. and he was at college and then he decided college wasn't for him and he came home and started working. I did go to college and it got pretty bad when I went to college. I would not go out really a whole lot. And if I did, I wasn't participating in the events or the festivities, so to speak. It just, I was just afraid of doing everything. I drank most of my calories and I'm not talking about alcohol. I'm talking about coffee because coffee gave me energy and I was exercising probably eight hours a day. And it's also an appetite suppressant. It is. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the only thing I was eating in college was a bagel with jelly in the morning for breakfast and maybe a yogurt. And I was literally surviving off that daily running for eight Terrible. hours. Or I don't know how you did that. I don't either. It's funny now as an adult to work out an hour. I'm like, whoo, I'm winning. <laughs> you know? The things we can do when we're young, right? <laughs> Not that it was healthy, but... The one thing I think I learned from that experience, if see, I believe everything has a silver lining. And I have a couple of that that night. But I think from what we're just talking about now with the exercise is that you can do anything you put your mind to. Absolutely. You just need to make sure it's in a positive, healthy way. But you can absolutely achieve whatever you want. It's up here. It's about a it's a mindset shift. Yeah. It's also the relationship, right? Like if you have a healthy relationship with exercise or are you using it as a coping mechanism to run away from something that you don't want to, you know, really heal from yet? It's why now as an adult, listen, I still love to work out. I don't keep a strict regimen. I do not. And I know that some people might disagree with that and I'm okay with it because I've come so far in so many ways. And I have given myself permission to do what feels good. So some days I do yoga, some days I weight train, sometimes I box. It depends on what season of life I'm in, what's going on in my life, personally, professionally, and what I need. So I really have learned through this process to really listen to my body, which is phenomenal on one hand, but it can be an absolute nightmare on the other, even now, because you like, get so in tune with your body, you feel and know like every little thing. <laughs> sometimes it's, it's, sometimes it's good to be naive, right? Cause you're like, Oh, what is that? What is that noise? What is that? You know, uh, what's that joint pain coming from? Cause you feel everything. So coming from a place of being completely dead inside and numb to being able to really feel everything in my body is like night and day. So what did that process look like? What did you go through in kind of your own healing journey to get to like being able to feel it all and heal? Well, the first thing I had to happen was I needed to admit I had a problem. I think that that first and foremost, when you hit rock bottom like that and you're literally fine, like I found myself in college one day, I had a huge exam and I was not doing well in the class. And I was a great student. Like I got three days most of the time and I went to college and my grades started slipping. And some people were like, oh, college is harder. No, college was not harder for me. It was because I didn't have any sustenance to have my brain function properly. And I know that, right? So I went back to my dorm room, my roommate, I think she might've went home that weekend. She wasn't around. And I remember studying for this exam and I woke up 10 minutes before I had to be in class with the book on my head from the night before. 
and I was flipping out, like scrambling, totally anxious because I thought, oh, I didn't even like, I didn't, I can't retain anything. I think I read the same paragraph like 400 times. And I was like, please, please, please let me, let me have soaked in the knowledge from osmosis. Right? <laughs> it was sitting on my head, like, please get in there. And I flunked the test. You know, and I got the grade back and I realized like, this is not how I want to live. One, I wasn't having any fun. Two, I was not functioning. I was existing. And meanwhile, during this period of time, I had secretly gone to see a counselor on the, um, through the college. And I didn't think anyone knew. I like would disappear for an hour here or there during the week. And I finally opened up to a stranger because I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to talk to somebody, a stranger might be good because they don't know me. <laughs> they can't judge me. It was helpful. She got into my head that I needed to start thinking about the longevity of my health, right? And the longevity of my life. And the more weight I started to lose, I just started to realize like, I'm going to kill myself without even trying. Cause I didn't want to die. I, I didn't have suicidal thoughts. I just wanted to people to stop paying attention to me. Right. I didn't want people to look at me. I didn't want men to look at me. I didn't want to have that. I didn't want anyone to call me pr like, I didn't want any of that. So I thought, okay, if I get skinny, then I'll disappear. Or I won't look pretty or whatever went through my head at that point. So I ended up calling home on Valentine's day, my second semester of my freshman year. I will never forget it. Valentine's day will always remind me of this The time that I said self-love will be what I celebrate on February 14th. Cause I am making the decision to heal whatever it takes. So Valentine's is a holiday that I don't necessarily believe in like tradi traditional way, like candy, roses, blah, 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 dinner. Like, I think you should celebrate your partner all the time. So I don't believe in that one day for that reason, but I absolutely unequivocally believe in that one day for me, right? That is my self-love day. That is when I decided I put my, you know, stake in the ground and I said, I don't care what it takes. I am going to heal from this and somehow, some way, I'm going to turn this around and find the silver lining and make something of it. So, and I'm going to cry. <laughs> so that's what happened. I called home and told my parents that I couldn't do this anymore and that I was killing myself without trying and I needed help. So I took a medical leave of absence, went home, <clears throat> uh, dropped out of college temporarily, went home and within... I want to say weeks. I mean, obviously it's been so many years. So my time like frame of how things occurred or how fast they happened is kind of uh, blurred, but I ended up in a, um, a hospital down in Philadelphia that was an inpatient facility. I was there for less than a month, but I was there for approximately four weeks. Was it like a one for like eating? What was eating disorders? Yes, it was, it was an inpatient beautiful retreat place. Honestly, the place was gorgeous. It was like a retreat space in the middle of the woods in Philadelphia. And it was for people who had eating issues. Yeah. So my roommate was a bulimic diagnosed with anorexia, exercise bulimia. And then later after I had been out of the inpatient, I was also diagnosed with body dysmorphia which most people don't even know is actually a diagnosis. I was probably in therapy in some form for about two years after that stint, that stay inpatient with the same facility. I would drive there a week to go to sessions, um, to go to group therapy and things of that nature. And I also had my own um, therapist, psychologist being at home. And I have to say, and this is just kind of a side note, I 100% believe in therapy. I think it's helpful. But if there's any piece of advice I can give about therapy, it's this. Make sure that you ask questions because don't just take the first therapist you get. Make sure it's the person that fits what you need. I literally grew probably five and I fired the first four because I realized like, 
This is my life we're talking about. I need to make sure that whoever I work with understands me through and through. And in order for that to happen, they needed to understand an eating disorder for real, not from a book, not from a textbook, not from seminars, not from, you know, clinical work. You needed to understand what it felt like to want to disappear, to want to not eat, to throw your food away, to hide it, to flush it down the toilet, to fake it in public so people wouldn't notice till you realize they all knew that something was going on anyway. <laughs> but so it took me about, it was five therapists I went through, five, yeah, until I found I think that's really good advice. I think there's interest in what I do, like in the ER and first responders. Like there's a lot of people that have a hard time finding someone to talk to because I have literally seen people of all ages die. If you're going to understand me, you need to know what I've been through, you know, and I need to know you understand that. So I, I, I do think that, that, that can be for some people a really important aspect of the, their healing journey because we all want to be seen. We want to be understood. And I think that's just a basic human need. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So, and then I did all the hard work. I mean, therapy was great. It did not heal me completely. Not at all. Therapy was a precipice to have me start digging into other things. So, you know, I learned energy work. I went to art therapy I did all sorts of modalities and experienced different modalities because I needed to really dig in and heal myself from the inside out. It was like reintroducing myself. And there had been things in my past, even before being raped, that had come to the surface that I really needed to deal with. Some abuse that I had dealt with, kind of like the underlying issues of kind of why I found myself in the same position. And it wasn't to blame me or shame me at this point. It was to understand the emotional piece of it that was kind of right underneath the surface. And that was the piece that if you took all the details away that I really had to like hone in on and look at and say, okay, what do I need to feel safe? You know, and that looks different for everyone. What do I need to feel whole again? Right. So that's really just came down to a lot of reflection, a lot of experimentation. In fact, I created some of my own tools just because I needed to, because I wasn't getting it from the places that I was participating in. They could only take me so far and I wanted more. Right. So I decided, well, I'm going to create them myself. And some of them worked, some of them didn't. And the ones that worked, I still use even today. Because the truth is that you can't, the thoughts in your head, I don't go every day. Listen, I love myself now and I love my body and I love to eat and all the things. But I don't wake up every day and go, you're awesome. Like that's just not how it happens. But I think there's a facade out there. And I think it does, it does women specifically a dis huge disservice. You know, you and I've talked about this before. What we see online is a very small fraction of what people want to share with the world. And yes, I understand that. No one wants to see the despair and the, the negativity. I get it. But we also want to see some reality and we want to hear about your reality because it's important. People want to feel like they're not alone. So I'm here to tell you that I don't wake up every day and think that I am, I have self-love spewing out of my pores, right? There are days I feel like crap. <laughs> and what I will say to that is my theory is this, you get to have a pity party for yourself in a certain situation for a couple of hours, right? I, I've always said this to, even to my clients. I'm like, okay, if you can't flip it right away, I get it. Cause I'm not that quick in my way of, I think either. So give yourself a pity party, whatever that looks like. Movies, crying, chocolate, whatever, whatever it is, do it. But then give yourself a time limit. I give myself eight hours. Then you pull up your big girl pants and you move because you do something. You make a change, you take an action, you do something. I provide lists for my clients and even for myself of things that I can do to bring myself around. What fills me? What feeds me? What do I need? 
to do to get myself out of that headspace to shift that mindset to continue to move forward and keep growing. Because at the end of the day, that's what really matters. Absolutely. So can you give us one of these strategies like that we can talk through today? So one of the things that I have always done is I create something called a self-nourishment menu. This is what I was talking about just now. So yes, you can have your pity party or whatever you want to call that, but there has to be something that you can do. And it's a list essentially that myself and my clients create that you can do instantaneously. So let me be clear. When people think of self-care or self-love, this is not about bubble baths. This is not about going to get a massage or going to buy, like this is not leaving the house and having to do something because one, that takes too much time, two, that you literally have to leave the house. And when you're feeling like crap and you're throwing a pity party, that's the last thing you want to do. Plus you can't do it on the fly, right? You can't, you can't do it right away. So this list has to involve things that you can do right away. Turn on music, dance around the room, scream at the top of your lungs. It can be you know, I have a sauna blanket here that's physically in this house. I will lay in my sauna blanket for 30 minutes and sweat. I have a heavy bag downstairs. By the way, I love to box. I used to want to be a boxer. <laughs> I love, this is going to sound strange, but I love to fight the bag, not people, the bag. <laughs> There's something really gratifying about just like, so I put the gloves on and I sometimes picture what I need to get out of my life and I go to town and box the bag until I I'm, sweat's pouring down my body. Sometimes it's yoga. Sometimes it's watching a Hallmark movie and a sappy Hallmark movie and laughing. Or sometimes it's watching a Lifetime movie when the woman's like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Listen, what is your guilty pleasure? Mine just happens to be those two things. And I know it sounds funny, but it helps. Read a book. I pour myself a glass of wine, I grab a fiction book, and I just get lost in the story. You know, I have at least 10 things on this list at all given times, and I use this for so many things. In fact, this self-nourishment menu has been so helpful with the clients I've worked with that we even use it for women who want to eat, right? So if, if their issue is, I want to stuff my feelings, and I want to go to the cabinet, and I want to eat the donuts and the cake and the cookies and the, all the things, you're going to use your list before you grab the cookies, the cakes, and all the things because we know you're not going to feel good afterward, which is why I call it a nourishment menu versus a self-care list. Because typically what I see on a self-care list is the massages, the nails, the hair, and I get that. Like, listen, if that makes you feel good, that's awesome. Schedule it. Make it part of your calendar. Put it in your appointment book like a doctor's appointment. Don't quit on yourself don't cancel. But you can't do that on the fly. It's not possible. So that's the one tool that I've used the most. I think the second one that I created, honestly, because even after all the years of therapy, the one thing I kept getting caught up in is the way that I looked at myself was my body image, right? That's something that I don't think can be worked through just with therapy. And I say that hesitantly because I'm sure someone has done it. I have not been able to work through that with just therapy. I needed to dig deeper and I needed to start looking at myself for the reality of what it was. And then I needed to start looking internally to figure out what made me unique, what made me beautiful and what made me powerful. So my process was something I later coined the mirror mantra and essentially what it was, was I stripped down to absolutely nothing. I was nude <laughs> and I stood in front of a mirror and I went part by part. Not so I could criticize myself or pick out all the flaws. Although that's what happened in the beginning. I'm not gonna pretend that happened, right? I was in a puddle of tears the first time I did this, but what it did do, I did it every day for probably 90 days when I first started this it started to change the way I thought about myself. I would not leave the mirror until I could find something positive about each of my body parts. So my eyes, my ears, my nose, my lips, my arms, everything. And it had to be something that had nothing to do with the way that it looked at first. Why? Because we criticize ourselves. It looks okay, but 
if I only had this, it would be better. Like, that's not the point, right? Give us an example because I'm like, I'm trying to think about something I would say. I have pretty muscular thighs. When it came time to look at my thighs, I used to always be like, they could be thinner. If they were a little bit less, whatever, right? And so I started to look at them and say, the muscles that I have in my thighs from all the years of running (laughs) get me from place to place. They make me strong. I can jump higher. I can run faster. I can speed walk like nobody's business. Like I was finding ways to look at them as what they really are for, right? You have muscles in your body because they function for you to function in the world. Think about it from that perspective. Like if you didn't have bones and you didn't have muscles and you didn't have all the things, you wouldn't be able to walk down the street. You wouldn't be able to go and jump in, you know, the balls with your kid at that age. Cause at that point my child was little, but you couldn't do any of those things. Is that like also like, you know, for women that have had children, you know, like, and have stretch marks, I have some, you know, looking at them and seeing them as something beautiful. Like I, my body has grown a baby and, you know, I have this beautiful child. Would that be? Yes, absolutely. So speaking of stretch marks, I have a perfect one for that. So when I, I definitely had some too, especially right after you give birth, I felt powerful after I gave birth. It was, I know there's a lot of women out there that definitely lose themselves, definitely feel less empowered after having, and I get that. So I don't want this to be misconstrued and, and everyone has to find their way. I felt like I was superhuman after I gave birth because of all after the process and what I went through personally from being raped to having all these issues with my body to starving myself practically to death to being able to conceive, first of all, that's crazy. And I didn't ruin my body enough where I couldn't conceive. So that was like a magical miracle. And then to give birth to a human being was like, oh, wow, this is the most amazing thing ever. And I specifically wanted to do it natural. More power to if you don't, and I'm not judging. But for me, it was about I was numb for a lot of years of my life. I wanted to feel every detail. And God does amazing things because you have more children because they take all those feelings away afterwards. You forget what they feel like because then we have more kids. I was blessed with one. I'm happy with one. But I understand why they you forget what it feels like to give birth is my point because you would never have one again. Um, it's not It's not fun but it makes you feel like, wow, I am powerful. So when I look at those stretch marks, I have always been afraid of needles and I won't have a tattoo for that reason because you, I can't even give blood, I pass out. I mean, it's like I call the lady at the, uh, the blood bank or whenever I've had to give blood, I'm like, I pass out, can I please lay down? Oh, honey, you'll be fine. And immediately you know, I have to have someone drive me and my husband will be sitting out in the waiting room and all of a sudden you hear, get the socks, <laughs> stretch marks as my version of a tattoo. And what it tells me is that, first of all, I look at them and I see strength. I see strength from the powerful shift I made in my body. And I see the strength in being able to house a human being. And then not only that, but deliver another living, breathing person. <laughs> right? So I wear them with pride. I don't hide them. But it took me a long time to come to those conclusions, not necessarily about the scars or the stretch marks, but just about different parts of my body, right? So even like things like if you don't like your nose, well, okay, think about all the wonderful, beautiful things that you smell. You would never, like, that's what your nose is for. It's not meant to be this iconic model-esque sculpture. It's meant to, it provides a function. Yeah. Does that also... Does this whole thing also give us like an opportunity when we're focusing on these body parts in the mirror, like an opportunity to really dive deeper into, you know, the feelings that we like where they came from, like why that negative feeling that we initially feel. What happens while you're doing this is exactly that. It's a process. And it's why I say like, every single day, like take this on, focus on the parts 
eventually focus on the parts you cannot find anything positive about. Unravel. I feel like I look at people, and this sounds strange, but I always look at everyone like, okay, we're all onions. Maybe not smelly, but we're onions. Right? I would say flower, but you really can't peel back a flower as like an onion, right? Onions are have depth. They have layers. It's like we are built like an onion. We have all of these depths and all these layers. And if you peel back, you learn something magical about yourself. And if you chose and choose to look at it that way, you can learn a lot about yourself by just peeling it back and just questioning, like, why did I behave that way? Why do I find myself in the same position every single time? Why do I constantly fault to that default, like screaming at my husband or picking up an Oreo cookie every time I'm upset? Like, why do I do that? There are things that we do that are so subconscious that unless you are willing to look at yourself raw, I'm the that's how the naked part came in, right? At first it was like an oxymoron. It was fun. Like it was fun. I played on words in my coaching practice back in the day. But the truth is, is that you can't get any more raw and real than being naked. And you should not be ashamed of it. So I look at my body in a whole different way. My body isn't something to be adored or it's like, it's not a piece of art. It, it's a functioning, breathing magical existence. And and what I mean by that is, I think why I say like some people are like, well, it is an art form. Yeah, it is. I guess you could totally think that that's cool. I'm teach his own. But mm-hmm. for me, I would rather someone look at me and see the power of me versus the physical of me. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. This totally reminds me of our conversation that we had about the word sexy. Like, so I... I personally like just really don't love that word sexy. Like I don't feel like I want to be sexy. Like I don't, you know, when my husband calls me sexy, I'm like, can you pick another word? Like it, I, it just doesn't sit with me and you explained it so well. Can you explain like what, like when we were talking about that, that was so, you know, like, well, I was kind of telling you how it's funny about how, when I get dressed, right. I'm not really, I'm not dressing for like my husband or men even at all. I'm literally getting dressed and trying to make myself feel good, look good for other women. And so I don't, and and so it's not even about being sexy, right? It's about being empowered. It's about being empowered. That's what we were saying. Like, yeah. It's about being empowered. I had a couple of employees ask me over the years, where did you get your style from? You're so retro. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> Um, I'm well, I'm older than you. I'm going to take that as a compliment, but (laughs) I don't really have a style and I wear what I want. I don't follow trends. I don't even know what the trends are. I wear what feels good on my skin, right? It's all about feeling for me. It's all about empowerment. A piece of laundry does not make me feel empowered. It makes me feel uncomfortable because it rides up. It does like, it's just not something I would choose to wear. I'll be the first to say like, I think all women should go brawless, to be honest with you. Like, they're not comfortable. Maybe that's the positive silver lining of when I was younger. I got brutally, brutally made fun of for being uh, very small-chested. And I feel like that was something I took away from that experience in a positive way. It was like, listen, I'm flat-chested, so, like, I can wear a tank top. I can wear a sweater and not wear a bra and have that awful feeling digging into my skin or, and it wouldn't matter because I don't really have a whole lot there. (laughs) And you've also had to love your body again through your breast cancer journey. I did. Absolutely. That was actually, it really came out of left field for me. I have to be honest. I was not expecting to go through that experience with that piece popping back up. I knew I would listen. You go through cancer, you hear the C word, and you go through a lot. Whether you have chemo or not, radiation or not, whether you choose to have surgery, hearing the word cancer is just unbelievably insane. I thought I was being punked, to be honest with you. I laughed at the guy, poor the poor doctor. He wasn't even my doctor. It was a guy I had never met before. He comes into the the room. He's reviewing the results with me. He tells me I have breast cancer. And I literally started laughing. 
And he looked at me and he was like, well, that's an interesting response. And I opened the door and I looked out in the hallway and I was like, you're kidding, right? Like, this is, this is a joke. Like who's out here punking me? And he's like, um, ma'am, <laughs> he's like, ma'am, um, I, I wouldn't, this is not news that I would kid around about. I don't know you. Like I'm not your doctor. I just sat there and he was like, I don't think I've ever had anyone have this reaction before. <laughs> I was hysterical. I was hysterically laughing. It wasn't until I finally calmed down and he said, would you like me to get anyone? And I said, sure. My husband and my son are sitting out in the, the lobby. Please don't bring my son. Just grab my husband. And he came in and I said it out loud. And then it was like tears. And it was like, whoosh, just to hear that, that word. And I think it was more because my dad had battled cancer before me having that news of breast cancer. And it was ugly. It was awful, you know? So I think a lot of the emotion came from that. And then I was like, okay, well, what's, you know, I had my pity party <laughs> probably the whole day. And then I was like, okay, let's go. What are we going to do? You know? And I just went into to action with it. But what surprised me the most is I, I made the decision of having a double mastectomy. I have uh, the BRCA2 gene. I had a genetics test on, and unfortunately, I have that gene. So I'm perceptible to breast cancer coming back on the other side and ovarian cancer and all the things, you know. So I made, I was like, listen, I don't want to have chemo. I want to avoid it at all costs. What can I do to avoid chemo? Because I saw what it did to my father. And... So this was the answer for me. And I think two months later, I was under anesthesia and had the procedure done. What would I do differently? A lot of things. But one of the outcomes that I wasn't expecting was to have this body image stuff pop back up because I had come to terms with being flat chested and I had come to love them, right? It made me who I was, right? So then here I am with these foreign objects in my body. Because honestly, when you hear the word cancer and, and you're in this breast cancer scare and all you want to do is get the cancer out of your body, you don't ever think to question what you're being told. I didn't. I just went through the motions. It was like, how do I get the cancer out? When can I do it? What's my next step? Right. And the steps that they gave were surgeries scheduled. We're going to do this. We're going to put the spacers in. We're going to give you, you know, implants, yada, yada, yada. Now, Listen, I am pretty granola. What I mean by that is like, I don't put anything in my body. I drink wine. Yes, I drink alcohol, but I've never done a drug. I've never smoked a cigarette. I eat really clean. I'm really con conscious about toxins and things like that. So but I also was young. I was 40 years old and I was like, I want to look normal. So it didn't even dawn on me to question it. So I just went through the motions. So here I am after my surgery. It makes you humble, I have to say. It makes you really humble because you cannot wash your hair by yourself. And you have these tubes hanging out of your body that has this weird liquid in it. And you literally have to rely on someone, in my case, it was my husband, to wash my hair and shower because I can't do it myself. It's a very humbling, very eye-opening experience, to say the least. But when I took the bandages off, I could not believe what I saw. And it was like all the years of those issues almost felt like, and it didn't really happen this way, but at the moment it felt like they were like coming full force at me, like, you know, lightning, like a, like a rocket ship. It was like, whew, right. And I just looked at myself and was like, I look like Frankenstein. And I cried and cried and cried. I was like, no one's going to love me. All those thoughts came pouring back into my brain. It was temporary. It was absolutely temporary. And honestly, I didn't realize it till then, truthfully for myself, that I had created such an arsenal of tools in my toolbox that I like to call it like my imaginary toolbox. And I just started pulling them out and they worked. You know, I went back to my self-nourishment menu and a, a few other things and I was finally able to work through that. In fact, I knew that I had, I don't want to say beat it because that's not really, you don't beat it, but I knew that I was back 
Yeah, I, I, there you go. That's a great word. I conquered that piece of that feeling, right? That less than feeling. We moved into this house a couple of years ago and we have a pool and I was really self-conscious to the point where I would wear a tank top. I wouldn't wear a certain bathing suits because you could see the scars and I didn't want to remember or I didn't want people asking me about it because I didn't really talk about it. I didn't, for years, I didn't, people didn't even know I had cancer because I never talked about it. It was like something I did and I got through and it was over, you know? No. Mm-hmm. And we were standing up on the pool, my husband and I, and I was like, let's jump in. And we were in street clothes. So I just ripped everything off and I'm standing there out in the open field. <laughs> with no bra on and we jumped in and he actually pointed it out. He said to me, I cannot believe that you took your shirt off. And I said, what are you talking about? And he's like, you've worn a tank top ever since that happened. So I, that's when I knew I was like, well, here I am. <laughs> Frankenstein's car and all. I have my Halloween costume. <laughs> And, and it's beautiful because you're alive and you're well and you're helping so many other people in your journey. And that is what makes it so amazing and beautiful and incredible and why I was so anxious to have you on the podcast. Will you also tell us like what you're doing from here? I know you have something that's starting in March. I do. So typically I've been health coaching off and on for quite some time. Um, I decided to start building my practice back up. Now, I have taken a hiatus for quite some time and, and I have a corporate job. So I've decided to really dig in and say, what would I want? You know, what would I want that would really help women with their health, but with every other area of their life? Like, what have I learned through my own journey, through having a business, letting my business go for reasons that we, you know, Essentially, I let my business go because my son said to me one day, mom, you're here, but you're never here. Like recognizing that you can do it all, but you definitely have to put yourself first and you have to have healthy boundaries in all areas of your life. And I think that's not taught enough. I don't think that we talk about it enough. I think we just keep throwing our hats on as women and we keep going, we can get through it. Well, do you want to just get through it? I want to thrive through it. So I decided, you know, health is one piece of the puzzle for me. So I look at life as a puzzle and I kind of created this sun, which it kind of just morphed into. And we all have these areas emotionally, physically, um, spiritually, mentally. And we have all these areas of our life that encompass who we are and what we can contribute to the world, right? Whether that's you want to be the best stay-at-home mom you can be that feels energetic and loves who she is or someone who wants to be a mom to three kids and have a day job, a side gig and all everything in between. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to acknowledge that we have to look at each, o- each other and we have to look within ourselves holistically. Where can we be most effective and how can we, we can't work on everything at the same time. Right? So let's take, If we look at ourselves holistically, let's take the pieces that we're struggling in and let's use tools, universal tools, mindset shifts, deeper questions, digging into the good stuff. And let's look at our life and say, is this working? Is this not working? And let's define or rewrite the script. I come from a philosophy that Life happens for you, not to you, okay? And I've learned that. And people are like, I can't believe you think that way considering all the things you've been through. And I've been through more than just rape. And we don't have time to talk about that. But what I can tell you is I've been through a lot. But all of these incidents in my life have made me become who I am. I wouldn't be talking to you today. I wouldn't be talking about this program coming out in March. I wouldn't even be having my own podcast because what would I have to talk about? Right? I mean, everything that happens in your life can literally be a stepping stone to your next thing. And you're also more equipped to help that person that you once were, which is what you were saying that you, in finding a therapist, 
that you wanted somebody that could connect with you on that deeper level from a point of understanding so they could really see you. Listen, I may not be everyone's cup of tea and I'm okay with that. I am not going to water down my message or water down who I am or how I show up for anyone. Like that's a unequivocal no. But if I'm not your cup of tea and you need help, I'm the first that's going to tell you like, hey, I have some people that I know that would be perfect fit for you. I want to work with people who really want to dig in, who, who appreciate my sarcasm because I certainly have that going for me. I don't sugarcoat anything. I am pretty abrupt sometimes, but I do believe, listen, I am tough love through and through. Like I said, I wanted to be a boxer. And I think the reason why I feel so strongly about that is like, I like the fight in the person, not being a fighter. It's the fight that you have for the, like, you want to stop at nothing to see someone truly step into their own power. Truly. I want to make sure women understand when I talk to them, even if it's a conversation that you feel seen and heard and truly loved because I don't think we do enough of that. I think, you know, women I've seen and read and, you know, we want to be equal, but we got to start with us. We got to start with supporting each other. We got to start with not knocking each other down. That's where it needs to start. So what I wanted to build out is a 12-month, very intimate group setting with individual access to me. Right now, the working um, title is called Love Your Naked Ass Academy, of course. I love that. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) I imagine hot seats and happy hours virtually and um, master classes and content you can dig in in your own time. I've already started piecing it out and whatnot. And I am just like through the moon excited. Like it's like a divine download. I'm just like, I started thinking about it and within days I've had an outline of what this is going to look like. So I know it's the right path. I think the lesson in that is listen to your gut. I mean, if I leave any inspirational advice is when you start to intuitively listen to your gut in all facets, right? It provides some amazing answers, but you have to be willing and be available to listen to that. So. Yeah, it's going to be fun and exciting and I can't wait to, yeah, I'll still offer health coaching. I most likely will do a group version of that specifically just on health. It will be called chocolate and Cabernet. Chocolate and Cabernet, what does that mean? Like, I always get people, people laugh, which is what I want. Like, listen, life doesn't have to be so serious. For me, dark chocolate and it's a good Pinot Noir and a hearty Cabernet. I would never allow myself to experience those things when I was in the throes of my eating problem or body image issues. I wouldn't go out to dinner with my friends because of the calories. It was just a night. It was a nightmare. So for me, chocolate and Cabernet is literally a play on words because I, I like to call myself the anti-diet coach. I don't believe in diets. I don't think there's a good and bad food. I believe that everything is accessible and that you got to figure out what works for you. So it'll be very individualized. Yes, if you want to lose weight, that might be a byproduct. But really what I want you to do is love yourself from the inside out. Because when that happens, you can make anything happen. Without depriving yourself, without feeling like you have to never go anywhere and enjoy life and taste good food. Or, you know, you have to eliminate food groups to be part of the clique. Like, that's just crap. That's just straight up crap. Unless you are allergic to that food. You should not be eliminating that food. So where can people connect with you? Tell me all all of the places so that we can reach out. I just launched my podcast, Love Your Naked Ass, last Friday. So that will come out every Friday. You'll see episodes on health and wellness, solo podcasts about just things that I believe in, things that I've done, techniques and tools that I've tried. You'll hear things about mindset shifts. You'll hear stories about my life so you can relate to who you're talking to. Listen, I want people to ask questions. I'm going to have guest speakers on various topics. And I also want to get involved, the listeners. So I'm working on revamping some copy on my website, but you can find it at KimberlyRiggins.com. You can find me on Instagram at KimberlyRiggins. And And I'll put that in the show notes as well, the website, KimberlyRiggins.com, right? Yes, KimberlyRiggins.com. I want people to ask me questions. I I want to learn what you guys want to hear about because I have access to a lot of different modalities, a lot of different coaches. I want to give you what you need. It doesn't have to necessarily all come from me. I believe there's beauty in 
contribution from all places. Yep. I totally agree too. Well, I hope everybody has learned so much today about really just diving deep into themselves and asking all the right questions. And if you don't know what those are, then seek out help in the process and start connecting with everybody around you on a deeper level. Because in all reality, we are human beings and what we're longing for is a deeper connection. So offer a safe environment, be a good listener to those around you, and maybe be the one to get vulnerable first if you have to. It can be scary, but you'll find in the end it feels good because we are never alone in what we are going through. So thanks, Kimberly, for coming on today. I just love you. I appreciate your vulnerability and I'm excited to dive into your book also called Love Your Naked Ass because I too have struggled with body image issues and I'm going to use those tools myself. So thank you. You got it. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And we'll be talking again, I'm sure. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Life Without Secrets. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Once again, thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.